Turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 3. Jason just stepped us through the books of the Old Testament. Proverbs is about halfway through. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Uh, Chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Paul. Let's pray just real quick. Father, thank you so much for your word that's living and active. And um, we ask now that you would tune our ears, our hearts, our souls to hear what you have to say to us. And God, make it alive to us, Lord. Really speak to us. Lord, this is a time of great crisis, of great need. And so, Lord, we need to hear your word now more than ever. And so we ask that you would just speak to us. And Lord, empower us to live as your body during these uh, seemingly dark days. We love you. We thank you. Empower me, God. uh, Correct me where I need correcting. And help me to speak uh, your truth faithfully and accurately. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, what happened (laughs) to our world? What happened? It's crazy. Um, None of us probably ever thought we would live through something like this. We probably thought these kind of days were over in the 16th or 17th century. Um, Seven days ago, many of us were gathered right here in this very building that now has four people in it. Um, I'm looking at them right now. They're, they're, but, but even we're, I wanted to let you guys know they're all honoring social distancing. They're sitting very far apart right now, but there's only four of us in here. And, and in this time, the hearts of people everywhere have this wide spectrum of response. Some are just given to apathy and indifference and, and thinking this is overblown and overreaction. Other people are, are walking in thoughtful caution, which is where we want to be. And then others are just in, in given to outright fear. As you know, panic buying has led to a shortage of basic necessities. And most of us are glued to the news, either on our phones or on the television. And we're watching as this brand new virus has held the world absolutely hostage. Now, it's not uncommon for unbelievers in times like this to use a great crisis like this to mock those of us who believe, as well as the God that we believe in. They'll say things like, and maybe some of you have heard some of this, they'll say things like, why would God allow something like this? And and that question... They assume with that question that they've stumbled on some sort of silver bullet that's finally going to terminate what they, they think of as irrational belief. And, and, uh, and, and so that, that is just the, the question that they imagine that we can't overcome. But it may surprise all of you. It may not, but it may surprise all of you to know that I think asking why would God allow something like this 
is a great question. It's a legitimate question. And it's the wise thing for us to do. So that's what I want to talk to you about. I've literally entitled this message, What Does Coronavirus Mean? And hopefully we're going to discover some of the answers to that. God is not afraid of a questioning heart. Uh, Pastor uh, uh, Paul read from Habakkuk uh, earlier, and, and he begins that book. If you go to Habakkuk chapter 1, he says, O oh Lord, how long should I cry for help and you will not hear? He has a questioning heart. Mary and Martha, remember when they're standing at the tomb of their brother Lazarus with Jesus? What do they say? They, say, they don't ask it in the form of a question, but believe me, it's a question. They say, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. What do you think they're asking? They're saying, God, why weren't you here? So it's okay to ask those kind of questions. It doesn't throw God off. So I want to ask you a question. If someone were to ask you today why God would allow us to be faced with a worldwide pandemic, what would you say? Think about that for a second. What would you say? How would you respond? I think that, uh, you know, we've all thought about this a lot. I know I have. And I have some thoughts that I want to share with you this morning. And I, what I want you to know is I don't claim that my conclusions are exhaustive. I don't claim that they're perfect. They're certainly not complete. Because that would require me to know like God knows. And believe me, I do not. But I think the scripture gives us guidance in these things. It, it, even if it only provides hints, if it only provides an incomplete understanding, we're not left completely in the dark. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, while some aspects of this will always remain a mystery to us, hidden in the mind of God, let's see what His Word does reveal to us. And the first thing we have to consider about this coronavirus, this COVID-19, at least in part, is that it re- represents judgment on the world and, and a, a correction even for the church. Now, some of you might be taken aback that I would say that. You know, you say, well, this is scientific, it's just a spread, nothing we can do about it. But I, I want to, to tell you that nothing, if we believe, we preach this every week at our church, that God is sovereign. Nothing happens outside of His control. And so He has to have a purpose for this. And, and uh, many have misunderstood grace. They think that God is just a giant... You know, candy ball machine in the sky, and, and he would never do anything that would that would bring us to our knees or, or try to get our attention. Um, but we've forgotten when we think this. But the Bible shows, and we've said this over and over, that God will always punish sin, and He'll always correct even those who are in Christ. In Exodus chapter thirty-three, when Moses was on the mountain receiving the law of God. The people, you've heard this story probably, the people down below down below the mountain built a golden calf to represent the one who had rescued them from Egypt. They literally said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And, and this was an incredible insult to the God that actually rescued them. It was a grave sin. It was the beginning, the origin of Israel's idolatry. And in response to this, Moses brought swift justice. He destroyed their idol. He ground it up. He, he sent the Levites through the entire congregation to, on a mission of capital punishment to the people who had done this terrible thing. But God 
didn't just leave that to the hand of Moses. He personally responded. Let me read it to you. Exodus 32, 35 says, Then the Lord, listen to this, sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf, the one Aaron made. This isn't the only time, not in any way, this is not the only time that God um, did this in response to people's idolatry. Um, Go to any Bible app on your phone, don't do it right now, but go to any Bible app on your phone and, and do a word search for the word plague and you will find multiple instances of God's judgment being revealed in this way. See, idolatry or some other form of ignoring or dishonoring God is usually the root cause of this in Scripture. Can you see right now, if you if you think about this clearly, can you see how Americans have idolized money, power, fame, all kinds of empty pursuits? God's judgment, and there's real reason to believe that COVID-19, at least in part, is just that, serves two purposes. And neither of which, this is what I want you to hear to encourage you, neither of which is to destroy you. These are the two purposes served by God's judgment through COVID-19. The first is to bring the world into the fear of the Lord, which Proverbs tells us is the beginning of wisdom. They must be made to see that the emptiness, or to made to see rather the emptiness of all they trust in so that they will turn to God. Secondly, because it's not all about the world, this is to bring the church to repentance for all the ways that the, that the church has reflected the rebellious and idolatrous world instead of reflecting a holy God who said over and over in Scripture, You shall be holy even as I, the Lord your God, am holy. So what are you trusting in this morning more than Christ? Are you trusting in the stock market? Are you trusting in the supply chain? Are you trusting in your job? Your health? None of these things anywhere in Scripture are promised. None of them. None of them, I assure you, will last. See, when God corrects us, the proper response is not to go out and buy a bunch of ammo and try to figure out how to be self-sufficient and build this better strategy. The reason God corrects us is so that we might be brought to humble repentance. That's why God does it. Now, if you guys think this is some kind of hellfire and brimstone message, I assure you it's not. There are other reasons that I think explain or give us a little handle on this thing called coronavirus. God also might be letting us endure this trial so the church, and I want you to hear this carefully, can experience the joy, the absolute joy of depending on Jesus alone. And it is joy. Listen to what George Mueller said. George Mueller was an incredible man in the 19th century who built these orphanages in England and, and depended on God for every penny. Never asked anybody for a dime to do that work, but he just depended on God. This is what he said. He said, the joy which answers to prayer gives cannot be described. And the impetus which they afford to the spiritual life is exceedingly great. I love that quote. If we're honest, we never pray more than when we're in trouble. Somebody type amen on your screen. We never never pray more than when we're in trouble. So times like these provide a great opportunity for us 
The people that claim to believe in God, to see Him move. And when He does move, it rejoices, or results, rather, in abundant rejoicing and growth in our spiritual lives. Where our trust lies is not only an idolatry issue, like I said in the first portion, but it's a disciple issue. Listen to this. It's a discipleship issue to learn to trust God. Peter had to step out of the boat in order to see that he could walk to Jesus on the water. The disciples had to tremble with fear as Jesus said, you feed the crowd of 5,000 before they could see Jesus miraculously take five loaves and two fishes and distribute them to the entire crowd. You never have more joy as when you get to see God move because you were out of options. It's a great place for a believer to be, completely out of options. And because when you're out of options, that's when you cry out to God with your whole heart. Some of you have experienced at different times in your life this joy where God just came out of nowhere and completely rescued you. Others have become so adept at survival that you never come face to face with genuine need. And it's the mercy of God today, in the year 2020, that He's letting you come face to face with genuine need so that you can see how good and how prosperous of a God and how much He wants to bless you that He is. It's good news. Can't you see that it's God's mercy that has brought you coronavirus, which you can't figure out, and you can't develop the right strategy to deal with. Nations can't do it. There was this king in the Old Testament named Jehoshaphat, and and he was about to be attacked by three much stronger armies in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And so the, the, these guys, him and his men, they get together, they fast, they pray, they beg for God for answers and for help. And listen to these words. Listen to how God responded to their prayers when they were completely out of options. He said, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of God on your behalf. See, church, listen, God brought you to this scary place not to die, but that you might see the mighty power of a loving God revealed to you. What a blessing. What an incredible blessing. A third thing God might be up to is providing an opportunity for you and I, as I mentioned in the the, uh, updates, For you and I to be light to people around us who do not know Jesus Christ. And there's plenty of them out there. You can do this in a lot of different ways. First, and most importantly, I think the way you do this by being light is just simply by guarding your heart. If you guard your heart, the Bible says, it's the wellspring of life and it's going to protect you from words and actions that will bring shame to Jesus and his gospel. And this isn't just the things you say, it's the things you post on on social media. What I mean is that if you are just as fearful, if you, claiming to be a believer, are just as fearful as everyone else, and and if you are are trembling at at worrying about what's going to happen next, one of the greatest gospel opportunities of our lifetime will be completely squandered. Instead of hoarding food... Instead of building a little toilet paper fort in your garage, instead of getting all the cleaning supplies that you could actually cleanse the entire world, 
What if you found people in your neighborhood, in your circle of influence, that needed the things you have? That could use some of your stuff, and you just in total faith gave those things away. Even at a loss to yourself, because you trust God to supply your needs. Paul said to the Philippians, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory. Don't worry about your riches. He's got enough to cover you. I promise you that. I promise you that. And what if when your friends and family talked about how crazy it was out there, that you told them boldly why you were living without fear? What if instead of loudly and publicly criticizing leaders and their policies, you loudly and publicly prayed for them to have wisdom and to be encouraged in this scary time for them? I love this story from church history. Famine and war had devastated the city of Caesarea in the early 4th century. And then the city was dealt another blow on the, on the uh, feet of the war, and, the, and uh, uh, on the tail end rather of the war and the famine. A crippling plague swept through the entire city. And all the wealthy of the city panicked and they fled for the countryside. But you know who stayed behind? The Christians. The Christians stayed behind. And the church historian Eusebius tells us why. He says all, uh, all day, all day long, some of them, the Christians, tended to the dying and to their burial. Countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from the famine, and distributed bread to them all. He goes on to say that because of this, listen, this is so important. He said, because of this, the Christians' deeds were on everyone's lips, and they glorified the God of the Christians. What a great way for revival to begin right here in Lubbock. Texas. If everybody could only talk about how the way that we weren't walking in fear, we were serving everybody else, even at potential risk to ourselves. Laying down our lives sacrificially for each other and for the community lends credence to our gospel like nothing else can. And Jesus told us that very thing in Matthew 5. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our good works are never for our publicity. They're for God's. Lastly. I believe that God allows us. To face times like this. Worldwide pandemic. To remind us. Of something we work very hard. Not to be reminded of. And that is our own fragility. Our own mortality. To, to highlight clearly. For us. Is, is what his purpose is. He wants to highlight clearly for us. Just how fleeting life is. In 1854, Great Britain was hit with an outbreak of cholera. 23,000 people died in that year in Great Britain. 10,000 people alone died in London alone. 10,000 people. There were few households spared from mourning during that time. There was no one in the city who didn't know someone that was affected by that great epidemic. Having begun his pastorate only a few months before, at the ripe old age of 19 years old, my personal hero, Charles Spurgeon, found himself pastoring a church through this crisis. I can't even imagine. And he was never one to miss an opportunity to make a blunt point. So Charles Spurgeon said, You cannot say, can you, 
that you have all your salvation. He said that to, to his audience. And then he says, but a Christian can. He can walk through the cholera or the coronavirus and the pestilence and feel that should the arrow smite him, death would be to him the entrance of life. He can lay down and grieve but little at the approach of his own dissolution. For he has all his salvation. His jewels are in his breast. Gems which shall shine in heaven. He never tried to distract people. Or entertain people. Christian or otherwise. From the deep thought of their own demise. Their own death. On the contrary. He considered it. Charles Spurgeon did. He considered it a great wisdom. To consider your own death often. On another occasion, he said, it is good for us then. It is greatly wise to talk with our last hours. It is great wisdom to make death our everyday companion. We ought often to lay our souls in death, to make death a familiar thing, to talk with it every day. But just like me, most of you out there think very rarely of it, and if a thought ever pops in your head, you do was that since death is inevitable, and since death, since it's at death, that all of our works, all of them, our profession in Christ, our charity towards others, our devotion to the Lord, all of that, the Bible says, is going to be tried by fire. And we should consider death under those circumstances gravely and think of it often. For those who haven't yet believed, or those who have believed falsely, There could be nothing more terrifying to you than the thought of your death. When we face certain judgment by a God who does not flinch ever in His holiness, in His justice. But but there is another group of people, for those who have put their trust in Christ, death is nothing to fear. It's It's a pathway to everlasting joy. John eleven twenty five. I mentioned Mary and Martha at Lazarus' tomb a moment ago. And in John eleven twenty five, Jesus says these, these very familiar words. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall yet live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Coronavirus gives you and I a wonderful opportunity to consider these things. To examine our hearts and know whether they are right. Our hearts are right before Him. If they're not right before God, may we have this brand new urgency to seize the day, to lay aside all of our corrupting sin and put all of our hope in Christ Jesus alone. So if you recall that passage that Paul read from uh, Proverbs 3 at the beginning. I want to just paraphrase it for you in closing. You and I are facing uncertain days, but let us be found trusting in the Lord with all our hearts and giving limited, or giving little rather regard to our limited understanding. Let us acknowledge Him in quarantine and social distance, in our anxiety, in our distress, knowing that He alone can make our path straight. Let's not be wise in our own eyes. May we fear the Lord and turn from all idolatry and evil. 
then we will find healing and refreshment in our innermost being. Let us honor the Lord with all of our wealth, our time, our strength, our passion, confident that He will supply everything that we need. Let us rejoice in the Lord's discipline, fully aware that it is the action of a Father who loves us. If you would, Pastor Dave is going to end this with a song, but before he does that, I want to ask you just to keep this as normal to our routine as possible. If you would just place your hands right now in a receiving position, and I just want to pray a quick benediction or speak a quick benediction over you. I cannot, could not think of a more appropriate one than this. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love you, church. I will talk to you soon. All right, we're going to close this morning by singing the song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Um, I love the song. I love what it says. And I'm so grateful um, that in these uncertain times, um, we are able to put our trust in someone uh, greater than ourselves, um, who will not fail us, who will not leave us, who will not forsake us, and who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, um, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. If you want to pull up the lyrics, you can sing along. Um, but let's uh, let's pray this, let's sing this in faith, um, trusting that, that God, through His Spirit, will, will help us and empower us to trust completely and fully in Him.
Pastor Mark reminded us to do. Uh, we love you, and we'll see you guys here next week.